Welcome back, everybody. We are studying the book of Job, and I wanted to take another episode and just talk a little bit more about the Satan and read a couple short articles for you guys for from a couple Bible scholars. One, because of the debacle with the previous episode. Hopefully you guys are able to follow the link and listen to what Heiser said. Um, but I want to have you hear from a couple other Bible scholars as well. I think the more Bible scholars we can hear from on an issue, the, the better it is. And I just feel like this is such a significant topic that sets the stage for what the book of Job is all about. So real quick, let's just read the portions of scripture that we have gone through, and I'll read up through a little bit after the Satan is introduced. So we read in Job 1, there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters, and he possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camel, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys, and very many servants, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day, and they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job had said, It may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And the Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to the Satan, From where have you come? And the Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down it. And the Lord said to the Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, who fears God and turns away from evil. Then the Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you. To your face. And the Lord said to the Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So the Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. I'm going to do more of a nosedive in the following weeks about their interaction and the uh, events that transpire after this conversation. They'll have a couple of them. But I wanted to read two articles to you guys, one from uh, a guy who is summarizing 
some work that John Walton does in his new commentary on the book of Job. And then another article summarizing work from a scholar named Tremper Longman. So here's a summary of uh, Walton's commentary on the book of Job. And I'll just start reading. In Job 1.6, we read, One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and the Satan also came with them. Most translations have similar, something similar, but will also include a marginal note for Satan, noting that the Hebrew word means accuser or adversary. One exception is the New Common English Bible, which reads, One day the divine beings came to present themselves before the Lord, and the adversary also came among them. The marginal note on adversary says Hebrew, ha-satan. That's how you would say it in the Hebrew is ha-satan. The ha is the and satan. This is me talking now, not the article. Um, and just so you know, the, the word satan is a Hebrew word that is transliterated into English. That means that the sounds of the English letters get represented in, I'm sorry, the sounds of the Hebrew letters get represented into English letters. So it's a Hebrew word. Okay, back at the article. Oh, by the way, I also, I really like the Common English Bible. So if you've been thinking about looking at a different translation to add to your arsenal, the Common English Bible is really great. I mean, it it is ready to go to places that other translations aren't willing to go. For example, the Job 1-6 translation, one day the divine beings came to present themselves before the Lord. It doesn't say angels. It doesn't say the sons of God. It translates it as divine beings, which I like. It's not a literal translation. The literal translation is sons of God, but it's an interpretation. Um, but then again, so is all translation. Back at the article. John Walton, in his new commentary on Job, has an extensive discussion on the identity of this being. He translates the word as challenger. He begins by observing that every time this word occurs in Job, it is preceded by the definite article. That's the ha, or the. This is strong evidence, Walton says, that Satan is not a personal name, because the Hebrew does not put a definite article in front of personal names. We might alternatively understand the word to indicate the office or function of the individual so designated. So pause there, guys. Walton is recognizing that the Hebrew grammar with the article in front of the Hebrew word Satan is telling us that Satan is not a name. And I know that that's going to take a little getting used to. That's just weird. Uh, in a way, this is kind of like the conversation we had earlier on Elohim. Elohim is not a personal name. It is a 
generic word that can be translated, and it means a spiritual being. Uh, it's translated capital G, God, or lowercase g, gods. So just wanted to pause and let that be processed a little bit. Back to the article now. Next to consider is what the designation conveys about the role of the challenger. The word is used both as a verb to accuse. So the word is used as a verb, and there's some verses here, which, you know what, I'm just going to read one of these verses for you guys. So let me go to Psalm 38, verse 20. Psalm 38, verse 20. Those who render me evil for good accuse me because I follow after good. And it is exactly the word satan. I'm looking at the Hebrew right now. So <clears throat> to act as an adversary, to oppose. Okay. <clears throat> All right. So the word can be used as a verb and the word can be used as a noun. And it is applied to both humans and celestial beings both to humans and celestial beings. And so <clears throat> let me, um, let's check out 1 Kings 5.4 as an example. 1 Kings 5.4. But now the Lord my God has given me rest on every side. There is neither adversary nor misfortune. And when, uh, let's see. Uh, and David sent word to him, you know, David, my father. Uh, I think it's Solomon that's talking. Solomon is, is speaking that there is no adversary. He's been given rest on every side. So he's saying there is neither a Satan nor a misfortune before me. And really the context shows there's no thought of a spiritual being there. So it would be human enemies that he would be thinking of there. So the word Satan can be used of a human who is opposing. But it also can be used of a celestial being. Wait till you hear this one. This one is. So in Numbers 22, I'll read this one. Do you remember with Balaam and Balak, that whole story? So Numbers 22, and it's verse 22. So Balak summons Balaam, and Balaam ends up blessing Israel and not cursing them, and Balak gets all ticked about it. And, uh, okay. So wait to hear this. But the Lord's anger was kindled because he went, and uh, uh, Balaam, Balaam went. And the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as his Satan. So try that one on for size, guys. The word Satan is used of the angel of the Lord. Is this just feeling weird right now? So it is a, a celestial being, being sent by God 
to do his purpose. And he is standing in opposition to Balaam. Okay. So, and what's even crazier is the angel of the Lord um, at times is identified with God at certain times as having God's attributes. So I'm not, I'm not trying to say that that's uh, what's going on in Job. I'm just saying there is a wide um, range of applications of this word. So it, this is not simple. And I think that's helpful to recognize that. So the word is used as a verb and a noun applied to humans and celestial beings. I'll continue reading the article. Welton says that this should lead us to revisit an assumption that is often carried blindly into the Old Testament, namely that the technical term always applies to the same supernatural being, a single Satan. Such an assumption is easily refuted by the fact that Numbers 22, verse 22, and verse 32 refer to the angel of the Lord serving as a Satan. So unless we posit that the challenger in Job is the angel of the Lord, we must conclude that a variety of beings can serve this function. This means that the appearance of an individual with this function does not give us specific identification of the individual. Walton goes one step further and says, we must consider the possibility that the challenger is not intrinsically evil. <laughs> this is really going to mess with you. He, he explains. So here's a quote from Walton's commentary. The challenger, therefore, does not necessarily imply some flaw in God or in Job. Some infer that the challenger relishes the opportunity to strike at Job. The text does not attribute to God or to the challenger any personal emotional response to Job's tragedy. God carries more responsibility for striking Job than the challenger, which is implied in chapter 1, verse 2, and chapter 2, verse 3, which, real quick, let me read chapter 1, verse 12, which says, uh, chapter Job 1, verse 12, And the Lord said to the Satan, All that he has is in your hand. And so God gives the Satan permission, right? So... Uh, finding my spot. God carries more responsibility for striking Job than the challenger, and both lack any sympathetic response. It is arbitrary, therefore, to assume that the challenger enjoys Job's sufferings while God sadly endures it. There is no expression of glee. There is no diabolical chuckle. Nothing personal, Job. There is a major philosophical issue on the line that supersedes individual circumstances. Mm, we will talk more about that philosophical issue that Walton is bringing up later. So the article says, Walton concludes that we are not in a position to claim that the challenger in Job should be identified with Satan as we know him in the New Testament. One cannot make the claim that they act the same way. 
In fact, there is little, if any, overlap between their two profiles. This does not prove that they are not the same individual. It merely reduces, if not eliminates, the basis for claiming that they must be equated. The profile of the Hebrew Satan in the book of Job does not answer to the same description as the Christian view of Satan in the New Testament. While the pictures are not contradictory, they and they may even be complementary, we cannot consider them homogeneous. In Bridging the Context section, Walton discusses the theological issues surrounding the identity of the challenger. Here he discusses other uses of the Hebrew word Satan in the Old Testament. Furthermore, he discusses two passages which Christians often say allude to or refers directly to Satan, Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28, uh, both of which in the context, guys, are the king of Tyre and the king of Babylon, and uh, a, a taunt is taken up on both of them. Um, on the former passage, Walton notes that neither John Calvin nor Luther, Martin Luther, supported the idea of Isaiah 14 referring to the fall of Satan. He quotes Calvin in particular, who wrote, The exposition of this passage, which some have given, as if it should refer to Satan, has arisen from ignorance, for the context plainly shows that these statements must be understood in reference to the king's king of the Babylonians. Walton briefly discusses those who appeal to census planier to, to support finding Satan in the passage, but finds it unpersuasive. On the Ezekiel passage, Walton says, Finally, as suggested at the beginning of our discussion of Isaiah 14, the Old Testament nowhere portrays Satan as a fallen being. Therefore, the fact that Ezekiel 28 refers to a fall would not suggest to the Israelite reader that the author was metaphorically invoking the fall of Satan for comparison to the fate of the king of Tyre. Is there then any single datum in Ezekiel 28 that parallels information known about Satan in the Old Testament? I see none. There's much more to Walton's case, but for the sake of brevity, this post, uh, already long enough, I'll leave the reader to see the full commentary. Um, let me, he concludes the article with this quote from Walton's book. In terms of our doctrine of Satan, the study here is only the beginning of a much-needed investigation, including a renewed assessment of the ontology and nature of Satan. Is it possible that more of the Old Testament profile needs to be adopted as the backdrop for the New Testament profile? Is Satan less an immoral opponent of God and more an amoral agent, an instrument of God in a fallen world? How much of Satan's portrayal in the ancient world accommodates Greco-Roman cultural views? How much demonology of Hellenistic Judaism imported from Assyria and Babylon rather than from the Old Testament? These await careful study by those who maintain a strong doctrine of scripture, but are willing to re-examine traditions that may have insufficient scriptural basis. Yeah, a lot, lot to be thought through and studied. And so that was uh, Walton's take on the uh, identity of the Satan. And um, there was another one here that maybe I'll just post for you guys from uh, Tremper Longman, which is uh, a shorter one for you to look at as well uh, that uh, maybe you'll appreciate. So 
uh, with that, I think I'm going to wrap this up and uh, we'll chat more about Job next time.